0: In episode 26, I'm joined by fellow wellbeing consultant, Amy Parkinson, again, where we chat all around the joint responsibilities of leaders, teachers, and staff in order to foster a school culture of wellbeing that positively impacts everybody from leaders to the students. Stay tuned. Welcome to Well-Led Schools with Adrienne Hornby. On this podcast, we talk about all things staff well-being, school culture, and leadership. Join me for incredible and rich conversations with a range of experts who will give you tips, tricks, and inspiration to best support the well-being of the staff in your school and yourself. I'm your host, Adrienne Hornby, a health and well-being consultant and former school leader. I partner with schools across Australia to tailor and embed staff wellbeing action plans aimed at addressing staff burnout and building positive working environments. Thank you again for tuning into the Well-Led Schools podcast. I'm your host, Adrienne Hornby, and today I'm again joined by Amy Parkinson, a fellow school wellbeing consultant and longtime educator and school leader. This is Amy's second episode on the podcast. You can go back to episode 25 to learn more about her and her unique approach to growing and cultivating a culture of well-being in schools. In this episode, we dive into one of the most hotly debated topics in the education world, whose responsibility is staff well being. And while it's easy to point the finger and blame the other side, it's also to be acknowledged that everyone who is part of the school culture has a role to play and the responsibilities to fulfill in order to ensure that not only their personal well-being but the well-being of the whole collective is attended to. In today's episode, Amy and I will dive into what these responsibilities are and who is responsible for them we'll take a look at those core responsibilities of the leaders and the staff and discuss the importance of coming together and agreeing to abide by a set of joint responsibilities that ensure the well-being of everybody in the school we'll also chat about how these joint responsibilities fall neatly within the pillars of the perma model of well-being one key takeaway that i had from this conversation with amy that i also want listeners to reflect on was the importance of being open and vulnerable. We have to speak up for ourselves in order to have our needs met and our feelings understood. This is valid in our personal relationships but also in the workplace. If we don't tell others that we're struggling, they may never know and we might not get the support that we so desperately need. That's when resentment and negativity builds, effectively tainting your relationships on a larger scale. The, and the culture of the school. I'll leave you with that for now, but let's get started with today's episode. This episode is brought to you by our signature Well-Led Schools Partnerships, a 12-month program that brings leaders and staff together to create a shared vision for their school and empowers them to create an action plan that leads to needle-moving changes in school culture and morale. Doors to our partnerships open only once per term. Stay updated on program openings and sign up for the wait list at adrianhornby.com.au forward slash school hyphen partnerships. So thank you so much, Amy, and welcome back. So Amy joined me on episode 25 to share all about her work with her business, wellness, doing similar but very different and incredible things with schools to support staff wellbeing and and grow school culture. <laughs> um, so thank you, Amy, for coming back on to
1: co-host this episode with me yeah thanks for having me again. This topic is just such a sought after topic uh, at the moment. It is a hot topic, so I'm really looking forward to chatting with you about it.
0: Yes, and having your really valuable ideas and input is is really going to I think make this episode sing because. Um, it, as you said, it's so multi-laid and complex when it comes to talking about those responsibilities of staff well-being and where they lie and how they change and how they grow and evolve. So thank you again for joining me. All right. So as we know, teacher well-being and mental health concerns are on the rise and staff well-being is a hot topic in education right now. And rightfully so, I think it's really important. Teacher, leader, and staff well-being directly impacts our students, their engagement, their life and learning outcomes, school culture, staff retention rates, just to name a few. And I know in my work, and you will have too, Amy, I've sat in many rooms with teachers and leaders, and often during our well-being consulting sessions, a debate will break out about who is actually responsible for staff for being in our schools. So is it the leaders or is it the staff? And sometimes it is it our government, our department or education officers responsibility? Um, I hear really fair arguments on both sides, and you probably have too, Amy. (laughs) And it's important for everyone to take a moment to really step into the shoes of each side, so our leaders and our staff, to truly understand where a lot of the frustrations are coming from. Likewise, I think it's equally important important for both sides to do their part. It's really important that we work better when we come together and we assume the responsibility as a collective. And so that's why I really wanted to have this episode and unpack this with you today, Amy, around whose responsibility is it to attend to staff well being. So does this all sound familiar to you, Amy? Yeah. (laughs) debate breakout with your clients as well?
1: (laughs) Oh, goodness. Absolutely. And from my experience, I think that this divide comes back to a lack of communication and understanding. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that plays a huge part and often comes up um, in the planning part or some of the priority areas that unfold from, you know, needs-based assessments of what the current situation is. Um, And ultimately it's a shared responsibility, Um, Mm. but it's not just understanding what your responsibility is, whether you're a teacher or a school leader, but what, as you said, what the responsibility is of the others too and understanding both, even though, you know, you're not necessarily responsible for what leaders are responsible for but having an understanding of what they're responsible for is important and vice versa. Yeah. Um, so oh, it's huge. And I'm actually fortunate enough to be the keynote speaker um, in September back in Tokyo in Japan at the Japan Council of International Schools at their annual conference, which is all about well-being. Um. and the keynote presentation is all about responsibility. Yeah. Um, so it's a, it's a really needed topic at the moment um, and schools are seeking clarification for themselves and for their staff um, to really try to work this out.
0: And I think the whole, and as we'll unpack, the whole premise of responsibility changes throughout the journey the um, focusing on staff well-being. Uh, and... You know, when we were listening, uh, if, if the audience wants to go back and listen to Episode 25 where you unpack the process that you take with school, you've got those, you know, two of the four pillars around awareness and insight I think are, are really important. And having these conversations early on uh, I think is truly powerful in ensuring that the journey that you take with your school uh, is one where, you know, we develop that insight and that wisdom uh, and that shared agreement of how we'll approach this moving forward, yeah, for sure, yeah, so as we be- as we begin this process with schools and that you know it's a bit of the debate I'll often see in the beginning of um, any support I'll offer to schools, our teachers might argue that their frustration lies in the leadership team's lack of awareness or attentiveness to staff needs or how they push more administrative agendas. And and then our leaders almost counteract with a rebuttal and express their frustrations that teachers d- can't seem to get everything done uh, and always unhelpfully gossip about leadership direction. Sometimes I've heard, this isn't all leaders, but sometimes I've heard some leaders saying staff just need to develop more resilience or need to take better care of themselves. Um, and, you know, they know that sometimes staff talk about this behind closed doors. Then we also can acknowledge here that our staff might not really utter a peep to their principal or their team leader regarding their concerns. So, um, you know, we have to acknowledge that too. They might go home and discuss it with a loved one, but nothing more is said at work and that just breeds more frustration. I'll hear oftentimes leadership teams continuing to express frustration um, around, you know, they've t- really tried to implement a few well-mean- well-meaning well-being meaning initiatives or relationship building events. They might have suggested that their staff um, access their 6-3 uh, EAP appointments and they feel like they're doing all of the right things. They're doing their best to replace sick teachers and provide inspl- explicit instructions to their staff, but nothing much is changing. And what I'm hearing and what I'm identifying with both of these sides of the debate is that we don't appear to be working together moving forwards uh, towards any really high leverage actions and additionally it really would appear to me that there's not a clear definition of the difference between personal well-being and workplace well-being and you know that element of Personal wellbeing is attending to those multiple dimensions of our wellbeing, developing the resources to be able to support ourselves uh, and implementing them at the right time. But then workplace wellbeing is about recognising and addressing some of those key workplace stresses, and doing what we can to prevent them from being an issue or deploying the right supports when they are present. So, this, that's really important, I think, to define early on. Do you agree, Amy, is like there are actually, it's a two-pronged approach here that you, we have to take in schools and it's not one or the other. For sure. Oh,
1: absolutely. And I think also, I think a big part for the whole thing, and it does It does, unfortunately fall on school leaders, but it's actually for everyone, is this whole idea of managing organizational change. Mm. You know, that is such an important part at that foundation level that school leaders understand that managing change, especially in an organization where it's not just managing yourself <laughs> and the change that you're trying to make in your life, but you're talking about, you know, in some instances and in some schools, hundreds of teachers, mm. if you're in a big college, like you're talking about big, big change for a big bulk bunch of people. Um, and so I think something, sometimes a little bit of that is missed mm. um, and having a really thorough understanding before you even take this on about how you're going to manage that change. Um, and I think it's the utmost importance of the foundations, for, especially for the leaders and their responsibility, to foster this positive approach um, and to effectively manage the change and to yeah. know how they're going to deal with resistance. Um, And to know that it's slow and to know what they're going to start with and, you know, to have those positive mindsets and addressing concerns and staff morale and all of this that takes place the whole time. You know, it's not just trying to get staff morale at the end by having, you know, a culture of well-being. Actually, that starts from the very beginning. That actually should already be happening, but that is going to change as you bring in these new changes and you start these big processes. So to me, I think managing organizational change is a big part here in the foundation it does unfortunately fall on school leaders, but at the same time, teachers having an understanding of that um, and and leaders being vulnerable and honest about how they're going to, you know, approach some of this, I think is a really fundamental part at that foundation level too.
0: Yeah, and and- leaders are probably listening thinking yeah this is a common situation that we're experiencing in our school i i say when i go into school it feels really blamey um you know you've got teachers sort of blaming the leadership for a lot of the hardship or the challenges and then those 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 leaders thinking that it is the staff responsibility and as we're saying it it's around having these conversations and defining what our approach to well-being and, and culture actually is and what it entails and what personal well-being is and what organisational well-being is and how we plan on uh, approaching that and tackling it. And I know you talked about in your episode around wellness is a big part of what you do is communicating early to the schools that you work with how you actually approach this. Uh, and I do the same thing, that it, it is this collective approach. It does require lots of that. Um, front-loading work before we actually get into the nitty-gritty of how that all looks and who does what and the accountability side of things. Um, So this is a step um, that really can't be missed is that uh, really pulling apart what it actually means, where we're going, that that ultimate vision that we have. Um, I think, you know, what this episode will really start to dive into is around... Outlining, communicating, and agreeing upon the responsibilities of everybody involved in this process. And if those actions aren't mapped out and the expectations aren't clearly defined, it's really tricky for us to move forward as one. And leaders and staff really need to work together to put staff wellbeing and culture front and centre with a clear set of responsibilities for all. So making sure that we begin our process there. And We'll start first with leader responsibilities because while I acknowledge and I don't know whether you agree with me, Amy, that it is a joint responsibility, I always come back to that leaders are actually titled and given that responsibility of leaders for a reason. They are responsible for leading change or growth, as you say, um, in a school. So they do have um, more and uh, and more responsibilities, but deeper, deeper responsibilities. I guess is the word that I'm looking for. Um, you know, they are the catalyst for change. A lot of the times, they are, um, you know, they're the ones on the ground dealing with those staff challenges and issues um, more than our staff are. They're, you know. You paid accordingly. They've got very different position descriptions. So while it's a joint responsibility, I think we have to first acknowledge that the responsibilities of a leader um, are much more in depth than that of a staff member, and and they're really essential. I think. What do you think? Oh, for
1: sure, a hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's a little bit like you know, as a teacher. You are the one that is interacting more and with the students in your class the most over leaders, right? So you are responsible for the social, emotional development of the kids in your class as well as the academics and all of that. So the leaders actually aren't responsible for that. Like that's Mm -hmm. not part of their responsibility, but their responsibility is their staff.
0: Yeah.
1: And part of that is their well-being. Yeah, um, And I think sometimes it gets a little bit lost and, again, a little bit of a there's too much to do, how can I have the responsibility of everyone, you know, and it is true. It, it, mm. It's a really big role. Um, so I, I, I feel for leaders in in this, as especially as it's a new, like this wellbeing space is new. You mm. know, in the last 10 years it's really blossomed. Um, so for a lot of leaders, you know, again, in a lot of the professional development they've done, it hasn't been around how to look after the wellbeing of their staff it's yeah, no. so new for them too. So, you know, that's it's, right. it's huge.
0: Yeah. And I mean, the research will show that uh, the impacts of a teacher's wellbeing that it has on our, st- uh, sorry, on our students, on their engagement rate, on their learning, but also on their life outcomes. So we can acknowledge that. But then the research shows that uh, our leaders' well-being impacts, of course, then on the well-being of their staff, which, as I've said, then goes on mm-hmm. to influence students. So we can't, of course, ignore that flow-on effect. So um, again, this is where that discernment between personal well-being and organisational well-being is really important. And the approach that both you and I take in schools is to focus on both of those mm-hmm. things for ultimate results um, mm-hmm. in school performance. Uh, but also on the on the feel of the culture, which of course goes on to influence school performance. So we we have to wow. acknowledge that, and and ethically, school leaders really do have a duty of care to their teachers and staff. And the data that I've captured in schools over the last eighteen months shows that on average, sixty seven percent of staff are experiencing high levels of stress, and that might be. Um, a lot higher in some schools or a lot lower in others, Mm. Um, but on average 67%, so, um, you know, over, well over half. Then 56% are indicating that they're experiencing burnout or multiple symptoms of burnout and 37% struggling with their mental health, which is like a whopping amount above the Australian average of just the general individual, which is 20%. So we can't ignore that this is... Uh, something that we have to address and prevent in our schools. And as leaders, that, that is our role. So it should really be considered part of the school leader's core responsibility to cultivate that supportive workplace environment that aims to preserve and prevent the deterioration of staff well being in a really stressful profession. Like We can't ignore that. So particularly in this post-pandemic climate, Um, Schools really do have a duty to seek more options for their people, to provide more support and to do things differently from what we've done before, Um, because I don't think that our staff will um, forget if we didn't quite meet the mark to support their mental health and wellbeing during a time of crisis. And this, of course, could um, impact future culture building endeavours um, as well as the endorsement of our school, which you know, which which carries on for years to come. So, really important that we focus on it. So, um, he, before we sort of dive into the different areas that I like to focus on when it comes to looking into the responsibilities of staff wellbeing, I like to start at some really foundational aspects of staff wellbeing and culture. So, here I think, and you'll probably agree, teacher and staff feelings of safety inclusivity and support are paramount in a school. So this includes probably most importantly the legal obligation to provide a mentally and physically safe environment for all staff Um, and it really is a legislative requirement that departments and schools create a safe and secure working environment for their staff. And I, I can't help but call out the elephant in the room here because it's almost too important to gloss over Schools and leaders must make sure that men- there's preventative measures in place to reduce, prevent, and mitigate any physical or mental health harm to our teachers at the hands of students, parents, um, and our co-workers. <laughs> and, um, you know, I think we can know and understand this on, um, on paper or when we say it, but in reality, it, 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 it might not be happening across a lot of settings. Across, this, uh, across our nation in particular. Um, and probably the biggest emphasis here uh, is that whilst it's widely acknowledged and understood that some students require additional support to behave safely and respectfully um, due to several compounding factors, our teachers and staff require just as much if not more support to move past an incident where their safety has been compromised um, so this might require a total overhaul of the school's expectations and consequences for incidences where teachers and students and staff are put in harm's way uh, in addition to suitable, you know, really supportive follow-up process for processes for any victims. And I'll pause here for a minute now to talk to you, Amy, about this because we know that in a lot of schools' behavioural Complications or challenges with our students is on the rise. And I think people are beginning just to go, Oh, but that's just part of the job now. And, you know, it is, I get it. But I think that what we can have more control over is what we do to support staff after an incident like that has taken place, but also to prevent anything in the future. What do you think?
1: Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I think it, I think it comes back to. Um, you know, knowing knowing staff at a personal level as well, that, you know, actually appreciating and acknowledging that, yes, they're in the workplace, but actually that's going to impact them at home that day too, Yeah, you know, or checking in with them the next morning after something's happened. Like, you know, not just unpacking the event and bringing the parents in and having a conversation with the parents. And then there's not not even just that, again, it's actually that small recognition and thanks of like, I'm really sorry you've had such a tough day, you know, make sure you're, you know, I know that you like to do this after work. So maybe prioritize that today or the next morning. How did you sleep? You know, just those little like actual human to human interactions are just simple little things or emotionally intelligent things that leaders do need in order to be able to connect with their staff. Mm. And especially in instances like this. And as you said, like it's a it can be those little things and then it's big policy, procedure, behavior management plan stuff as well. Like that that, that's the big stuff, but there's the little stuff I think that is often forgotten because school leaders have got so much going on. They don't have the capacity left to Mm. give that kind of little stuff because it takes, it takes a conscious awareness to do that. And often there's a million and one other things that have happened in that day. And in fact, once that event, once that you know, took place or that behaviour took place, that school leader's been in, you know, five other, other meetings with other issues and, you know, just kind of keep cycling and then they've actually totally forgotten that that happened for that teacher and to check in with them. So I, I think, again, there's, there's that I'm capacity that they just, they're, they're topped up and they don't have that. It's not that they're, as you said, they're not purposely not doing it. It's just that they've just, just totally wiped their mind and they just have not even thought about it.
0: I think in this instance the little things, those little check-ins that um, that humanism uh, are the things that make the big difference beyond just the processes that we do at school. And the reason why I wanted to sort of launch in with chatting about behaviour and how that's managed and supported is because I know from my experience that working with schools where challenging student behaviours is one of the key of of a lot of leaders and staff, or the key stressor. Um, if that isn't addressed, it's really hard to focus on staff well-being in any other way because they all our staff can't see past it. So um, you know I've started, I'm actually working with my old principal who um was a who really led this in the ACT. Um, to support some of the schools that I work with around, um, you know, putting in place streamlined and consistent behaviour management, but also support systems for our staff before and after these events. Because if that isn't <laughs> if that isn't focused on humming, doing really well, our efforts to then go over and be like, let's build relationships, or let's find our vision for school wellbeing staff can't see past the fact that their safety is compromised every day so i you know i would be doing a total disservice for those school leaders who are listening where behavior is a is, is a big problem in their school for to not emphasize the need to focus on this and um we can't as you said underestimate as a middle leader as a senior leader um or even a staff member's checking in with our staff beyond um all those little things beyond just like you know um making sure that they filled out a risk man (laughs) That, that how much of a difference that makes like i've worked in schools where i was hit kicked punched every day um, but I went back in because of the support that I received and the love that was given to me by my principal and my deputy to support me through that process. The involvement in it. So, yeah, I I I think you and I um, both definitely agree about how important that is for our well being overall and how much it impacts us.
1: Yeah, I also empower. Um, I know we're about to move on, but I also would love to empower teachers to be vulnerable and be honest about how they're going because I also think, again, as you said, it's they put on a front at school, they then go home and they're a mess. Yeah. They're, they can't sleep, they're um, all worked up, they're all anxious, they're stressed, they're not eating properly. There's all these things that are happening in the background and they're coming back to school and they're fronting and then, you know, a leader walks past and says, how are you today? And they say, oh, yeah, I'm fine. Or they're not honest. They're not sitting, you know, in yeah. the in the office of a, of a leader and actually being open and honest to say, actually, this is not okay. I'm mm. not coping for this reason. And I really empower teachers. And I know it's very, like the they've got to have that psychological safety to feel like they mm. can do that. Mm. But I really, really empower teachers to be really honest and vulnerable about how much it's impacting them mm. and to be really vocal about it. Um, Mm. because otherwise they don't know. That's not their, you know, they don't know how you're feeling. They don't know how much it's impacted them. And school leaders, if it's a really bad situation, are worried about themselves in the meeting with the parents. Mm. You know, like they're, they're worried about how they're coping with the situation for what, you know, they've got to do to, deal with whatever behaviour it is that's going on as well. So, Mm -hmm. you know, again, often it's just not that they're they're just not mindful of how you may be feeling and they're also not expected to know how you're feeling. You have to be your own voice um, and you have to be vulnerable enough to be open and honest. Mm
0: -hmm. Um,
1: Ask for help when you need it um, and sit and share how you're feeling, um, Mm -hmm. even if you're not asked. Yeah. Book a a meeting and go and tell them. It's so important. Yeah,
0: otherwise things fester and then that's where we start to
1: see, um, you know,
0: a detriment to our -being and culture collectively it is that joint responsibility so yes for for me I had to launch in with the foundational aspects of the responsibilities here of course begin with um, how we attend to student behavior and well-being um, but other, um, other foundational practices, and please jump in at any time, Amy, really are around streamlining communication practices. So this, of course, includes seeking consultation and feedback from our people to find out their needs and requirements for improved health and wellbeing building a framework, policy for staff well being action plans, growth growth plans, like what you've got, Amy, for, that address the health and wellbeing needs and requirement of their staff. Because as we talked about in Episode 25, this ensures accountability, um, which we just require in an organisation like ours to keep us on track. Um, of course, workload management, so streamlining our practices for workload. It's You know, we will always have a bazillion and one things to do, but do we need to, to do it all? What's the most important? What will have the biggest difference? And coming back to what you and I have talked about in last episode and we'll probably continue to talk about throughout this episode is um, the requirement for leaders to role model well-being. They really do have a responsibility to lead by example when it comes to staff well-being. Um, so that might be in, yeah, how they um, support themselves, how they support others, um, the messaging that they use. We can't expect for our staff um, to be and do different things if we're not, of course, role modeling it for ourselves, because people, we're just sending the message that we expect something different from our people. Any other, any other ideas or thoughts to add in there, Amy?
1: Yeah, no, I totally I totally agree with you. I, I was actually listening to the Imperfects podcast. I'm not I sure love if you've them. To them. I love yeah, them. Yeah, and um, Hugh and his wife, Penny, were on, and it was about the elephant in the relationship. Um, yeah. And I know it might seem like how is this related, but it sort of comes back to workload. And they were talking about how they read this book called Fair Play by Eve... Eve... Rodsky, Dodsky, something like that, Um, and she talks about in, in relationships at home, so I know this is different, but in relationships at home, what is the responsibilities of the household collectively and then how are we going to divvy up these responsibilities because they were having a very vulnerable, raw, honest conversation about in their relationship how the perceived workload was different to what it actually was. And Penny was saying that there was a lot of mental load that she was carrying that Hugh wasn't but he wasn't aware of it at the same time and she hadn't tried to share that responsibility. So when she brought it up, he was like, hang on a minute, I'm doing everything I can to be as present as I can to help with the kids, to do this, to work. And so he took it as a defense of like, what do you mean? Like, what do you mean you want more of me? I have not got the capacity to give more and, you know, blah, blah, blah. So they sort of unpacked it. Apparently this book is really good and Mm -hmm. it sort of helps you sort of divvy up the responsibilities. And while I was listening, I was like, gosh, this is so similar in a workplace when we're talking about workloads and responsibility and perception and things. And when you're in teams and something that I'm thinking about doing with the teams that I'm working with is actually starting to address this workload and this fair play, but more around the mental load. So being, and not just sort of unpacking everything that you do necessarily, but if you're a leader and you're finding that your team are being a little bit, they're not as motivated, or you can see that they're sensing a little bit of, you're just sort of sensing that the the morale in the, in the group is changing. And maybe you need to be really honest about what your workload is, mm. And that the reason that maybe I'm being this is this, or you know, is someone in is someone in the group feeling like they're doing more than someone else? Like you've tried to delegate and divvy up different different things, but actually you're not seeing the mental load that, 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 that job is, is taking on me. And so I'd like to just share that. So if you're feeling like I'm a little bit distant this week or a bit frustrated, I'm feeling like this rock. So I just thought that was really interesting. Very, I know that's not related to this, but I just, as I was listening, I was like, my goodness, like we're talking about workload and communication and responsibility and all these things. And it's like, you know, that's, that's one way to be able to sort of demonstrate it.
0: It absolutely is relevant because it's something that I work with a lot of schools with is around clarifying roles and responsibilities, and lots of schools um, start this process by reviewing the position descriptions of the leadership first. So senior leaders, so uh, sorry, sorry um, principal deputy or associate principals um, or assistant principals and then down to the middle leaders because then they can start to be like oh my god these are the things that I actually need to be doing but I'm in fact out doing all of this and so they go okay well what am I going to prioritize that I need to be doing more of which is often the strategic and the innovative stuff the coaching um, you know the community all the stuff they don't get to do And then um, actually communicating that to staff. Like it's our role to be doing this, but we're actually fully in the operational, which is really common. But then also reviewing our roles and responsibilities as staff is is important too. Um, But as you said, I think that process of reviewing what the leadership team are meant to be doing but are in fact doing and all of the things they are responsible for and their load and what they're leading helps staff to gain that insight, as you talked about, awareness and insight and perspective, um and i think it begins to lessen a lot of those mm. expectations that we have um but ultimately what it would prob- that process really yields is that when it comes to staff wellbeing and culture i think for the leaders at our core foundationally a lot of the responsibilities are around that organisational well-being. Um that's where our efforts are best spent and, of course, on encouraging and supporting our staff to prioritise their own personal wellbeing because that then goes on to, um, to influence the, the whole school. So then, you know, if we step away from those leaders' core or foundational responsibilities, we can we can then sort of divert over to teacher and staff responsibilities and they do have a role to play. Ultimately, it is up to us as staff to take care of our own physical and mental health and our own safety um, too. So we can't control our um, all of our safety in a school, particularly when it comes to students. but there are some things we can do like as you were saying before, Amy asking for help, making sure that we report things um, as we as we're meant to so that we can we can receive that level of support from the department or from the school. And our work, like especially teaching really, teaching, really constitutes and almost consumes a huge part of our lives, both in time and energy. And we must, 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 must learn how to set boundaries to speak up and to manage additional stress that comes from a career in education. We knew getting into this, well, as we were talking about, well, I can't remember if it was this episode or last episode, maybe we're not prepared for the yeah. level of stress that comes with this, but we ultimately know that it alongside healthcare working is one of the most stressful stressful professions that we can get into. So we can't get into it and then be like, this is all too stressful. We have to acknowledge that we got into this knowing that, um, Uh, But there are things we can do, of course, to support ourselves, to be able to be driven by our purpose behind getting into the profession and supporting ourselves and one another throughout it. So, you know, without stating the obvious, our staff are responsible for complying with the health and safety condition laid out by the school. Um, and the education officers or directorates. So just as school leaders are responsible for maintaining and advocating for school safety, our school staff must report when their daily work is impacting their safety, their wellbeing and their health. And you beautifully put it before, Amy, that there's a, a level of psychological safety that comes with being able to express that. Um And that's the responsibility of the leaders, of course, to cultivate that, but our staff have to speak up, don't they?
1: Oh, yeah, most definitely.
0: Yeah. And, I mean, this can involve filling in relevant risk reports. You know, this is getting, you know, very administrative. Seeking the support of an employee assistance program, asking for advice from our governing bodies, Um, but alongside this, you know, adhering to those formal requirements um, such as taking our breaks, (laughs) like take your half an hour break each day, Um, you know, working our our core hours or, you know, if you do choose to work outside of those hours, which many of us do, particularly earlier in our careers, um, you know, to prepare sort of not I think back to when I did this, I went way too overboard with the extra hours that I worked. I put mm, so la- it yeah, laminated and did all of these extra things that really didn't make ultimately a huge difference. Um so really monitoring how we spend our time. Um, participating in any voluntary initiatives offered by the school to support our staff and wellbeing. So if you have someone like Amy and I coming in, like really working to engage with that, to be open-minded um, and to tune in to, um, to those supports offered. Um, and, you know, get involved with any and all practices aimed at caring for health and wellbeing is my advice. Um, and if what you're looking for isn't on offer, speak up and ask for it respectfully and professionally.
1: Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I I agree with all of that. I think that that's, yeah.
0: Yeah. Those who engage with the services that we offer in schools, I think, get so much out of it. And I understand that there's probably reasons for why people might not um, always engage the same as as others in that, but I think working to, um, you know, uh, really make the best of them for what we've got there is 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 only going to be beneficial. Um, and then, of course, knowing how to take care of our mental health is vital if we want to ensure longevity in, in our career and reduce any risk factors for burnout. So knowing how to manage our stress levels, maintaining positive social interactions and asking for help when needed are all really practical actions that can support staff wellbeing. Um, and we actually probably need to in a really stressful time or when we're short-staffed or when we've been sick, we probably need to double down on some of those self-care practices to help us get back to like a, a baseline level. So, you know, at the very least, I think staff are responsible for those foundational practices for improved staff wellbeing, but also, as we alluded to before, providing respectful feedback for school improvement in the correct and professional forums, um, and speak, seeking support from a mental health practitioner or um, provider for any instances of chronic, ongoing stress, mental health challenges, or physical health concerns or ailments. Do you have any other others to add in there for what our teachers and
1: staff can can do at foundationally? Yeah, I think upskilling themselves is so important because sometimes I think they get given all of these or schools make these changes and they implement these new things. And then there's just an expectation that staff then know how to do that. So like, for example, boundaries, setting boundaries, you know, that you've got to understand what they are, Mm. how you do them, how you communicate them how you keep them consistent, like there's all these there's all these little things that all come together that when you're talking about trying to create or grow change in terms of a school and, and its well-being, there's so much upskilling that needs to take place so that you can educate and give more knowledge and skills to the staff. And I think that, you know, if I think about how many differentiation, you know, professional developments I've been in over the years, they're incredibly powerful. They've all been different. They've all taught me something new. But I don't think I've ever been in a well-being professional development mm. in my 12 years as a teacher. Mm. Mm. That's mm. huge. Mm. So it's all well and good to say we're going to make all these changes and we've got this action plan, we're working with this consultant and we're doing all of this. But if you're not going to invest in upskilling your teachers to know how to make this change for themselves and in their teams and collectively as a whole, you are wasting your time as well. Yeah, because there are so many people that don't know. I mean, this whole podcast is about joint responsibility. You know, if we just went out there and asked a whole bunch of random teachers, I think majority of them, if they were honest, would say, I'm not really sure. Mm-hmm. Like I probably could assume in my professional opinion that it's probably equal and I know that there's certain things that I should be responsible for and certain things, but if you actually ask me to unpack it, I have no idea. Mm-hmm. Um So I think, I think that's a really crucial part and actually is a foundational part. And I don't mean upskilling them in everything from the beginning, Mm. but there's got to be some level of upskilling that's happening or professional development or workshops or something from the very beginning that's helping with this change process. Um, that I just think plays such a pivotal role in these foundational parts.
0: Yeah, and the research does show that offering our staff training on self-care, wellbeing, mindfulness um, does actually impact on their overall wellbeing and then school performance. I find, um, as you've probably found, Amy, that there's a time and place for when to introduce that. I feel like sometimes schools go straight to the self-care PD first and that gets staff offside because they don't feel like the organisational aspects are being addressed. Um, and commonly I think when we initiate work with a school, as I said, it, it's blaming in the start and rightfully so because we haven't got clear on the joint responsibilities. So, again, people are expecting the other side to come to the party. So I think the, the, the best way forward is to start with organisational wellbeing being. Once you've got that being addressed and talked about, then you kind of trickle in that element of supporting yourself, providing lots of references to research and how tending to the multiple dimensions of your well being actually does influence your levels of burnout and experiences of uh impacted mental health. So people go, oh, right. Okay. So it is actually the responsibility of um the school to do this. But if I look after my well-being, it will it will actually change how I'm experiencing my day to day. And then you yeah. go from there. And I've worked with schools for a whole year where the majority of the work I do is working with the school and organizational well-being. And I do focus um, on individual wellbeing, but less so because that's just the the angle that I take. And then to what we get towards the end and we go, okay, all of these things and our perceptions of the school has changed, but some of you or a large percentage of you are still experiencing chronic stress, burnout and impacted mental health. Why is that? And then staff go, because we're not looking after ourselves. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, yeah. fancy that. So it takes... It does take a whole school approach to eventually get to that realisation, but that in itself is really powerful. And if it takes you a year to get there where staff then do realise, okay, yeah, I acknowledge that I do have to take more care of myself and that's the next step, then great. Um, But I think forcing staff to do that too early isn't often well received, is it?
1: Yeah. And I think um, it's amazing when staff complete the initial needs-based assessment you know, if you ask them before what wellbeing means to them, what the, how they would define it, how it looks in the workplace, they're kind of like, oh, I don't know. They then do the survey and they're like, oh. Just from the questions <laughs> yeah. you've asked, they've learned. They're like, oh, okay, you're looking at this. You're looking at this. You're like, wow, it's encompassing this. And I think even just doing that is an awareness for them as well in those early stages of even if they've, you know, said that they disagree or they agree regardless of, of where they are on the scale, It just makes them a little bit more more aware of this is the kind of stuff that we're going to be unpacking. And even though, you know, you're asking about how, um, I'm just trying to think of a question, maybe you're asking about how motivated I am in the workplace personally. Oh, that actually is impacted by obviously myself, but those around me and things that we do. So I think actually that initial initial foundation part often sets a little bit of a tone for what to expect or what it encompasses. And I think that's super powerful in those foundations too.
0: Yeah, and and defining well-being as you've probably found when you go to research it, you get about 20,000 mm. different definitions of what well-being is. But I think from my research what stood out the most is that well-being is extremely subjective and it all comes yeah. down to what we as the individual value our life experiences, whatever. So well-being to one person might mean Um, having consultation another person it might be feeling engaged by their leader the next person it might be the safety elements of work so it's important for us to you know consider that it is different for everybody as a whole school approach we'll focus on the things that seem to be coming up for the majority of people Um, and then from an individual perspective we can then sort of tailor how we come in from it to support ourselves. One on one. So you know, if it if it isn't obvious enough by now, we can probably hear that staff well-being is certainly that joint venture. That's why we talk about the joint responsibilities of staff well-being, and you know, individual staff have every right to work in an environment that prioritises their people, but they too must do their part to you know make their workplace a place worth showing up to every day for themselves, for their team, and and for the greater school. And we expect the same of the classrooms that we run. So, you know, we as teachers provide the scaffold for a really harmonious learning environment, but our students play an important role in that classroom culture. So it should really be no different when Mm. it comes to us as a whole staff. Um, And as you were talking about before, Amy, then sort of apart from the foundations, it's around moving into what it actually what well-being actually encompasses and in my work i look at the perma model so i think that that's you know a really well-rounded integrative inclusive approach to um you know the pillars that are required to Uh, increase the staff psychological safety in our workplace and I know at wellness um, you would weave in elements of positive psychology but you take a different approach but what I'll do with schools is we'll review those foundational responsibilities how are we going in those areas and then we step down into looking at those pillars of the PERMA model so um, for those of you who don't know about the PERMA model, I'll link the episode that I did on that in, in the show notes. But um, in a nutshell, it stands for Positive Emotions, Engagement, Relationship Meaning, Accomplishment and Health. And what I'll do with the school is review, um, you know, research-backed and also um Uh, some of the responsibilities that have come from my experience in working with schools under each of those different pillars. So we'll, as a whole staff, look into positive emotions. So this might be leaders and staff having access to professional learning opportunities for resilience, stress management, mental health, access to the EAP, um, you know, healthy work-life balance, and there'll be roles for our leaders as, as part of this pillar, Uh, and roles for our staff. And we can go, okay, like what do we do really well um, and what do we, you know, need to focus our attention on? Uh, Then, of course, there's engagement. So that would be leadership-led engagement practices. So the provision and participation in quality change management practices, resource allocation, coaching and mentoring, targeted professional learning and strength recognition. So as you're probably starting to hear now, as Amy said before, you know, well being actually spans across a lot of different areas, doesn't it, Amy? And like engagement is a huge part of our wellbeing at work, which is often led by leaders, but our staff do have to participate in that process as well.
1: Yeah. Oh gosh, for sure. Yeah. Then we've I got- think sometimes I think sometimes the admin, the administrative tasks that have just like built and built and built have made teachers feel a little bit of resentment yes. towards some of these administrative tasks. And then the purposeful, meaningful work is a little bit lost. And so like an example I can think of is, you know, if you're going on a, a field trip or an excursion, you've got to do a risk assessment. You know, you sort of think, oh, this again, I've got to sit here. and do... But actually that's got tremendous amount of meaning and purpose in your job. Mm. To keep mm. staff, students, and and helpers safe on that trip, that document is really important. Yes. But it becomes a bit monotonous, and it becomes another thing. But actually, I've already done you know ten other administrative tasks already today. And now I've got to do that, and it starts to just build. And so then that engagement is it, you're disengaged. You're just sort mm. of then so overwhelmed, unmotivated. And I think some some in some instances. This this build-up of administrative tasks is meaning that engagement's being lacked um, and the purpose for certain tasks is being lost. When you if you actually come back to the core of a lot of things, they're really important in your job. Um, so
0: communication around why we're doing something that is such a that's a really good point, Amy. And I like it because I was reading in a survey just recently, staff um were were providing feedback to say that they don't like that their school has recently introduced learning walks and peer feedback because it takes away from teaching time. And I thought, oh, but those are such important initiatives to build relationships, to see what we're doing in other classrooms, to ensure collaboration, to engage our staff. Um, so I was thinking, isn't that funny? You know, we, we do come back, we do just want to teach in our classroom, but I think the purpose behind those initiatives that we're putting in place haven't been communicated solidly uh, mm-hmm. so staff aren't seeing the value of that mm-hmm. initiative that has been introduced and how powerful it actually is for our well-being and culture when we define what staff well-being actually entails
1: actually yeah mm.
0: for sure yeah yeah and that you're so right like the the risk assessment is a really imp- imagine if we didn't have that there? I know and something I know, wrong. real yeah. yeah, exactly. But
1: it's just yeah, it's just a big yeah.
0: Yes, that's it. Then we sort of step through to relationships. So staff having access to social but also collaborative opportunities um, is really important. And so it's you know we have to offer that as as leaders. So sort of plan for social events or establish some kind of social committee, but also and um, an element of that collaborative scaffold needs to be applied. Like what are we doing? Are we following a PLC approach or are we doing inquiry project or some kind of action research? I, I think not having a scaffold for collaboration is important because otherwise all teams might collaborate and it might you know look really different. I think, you know, in all of my research and what I was doing when I was in schools, I think PLC approaches are just the most conducive yeah. to that. Um, but this also includes um, responsibilities for leaders and staff around engagement in social-emotional learning um, for us as staff but also for our students and conflict prevention and management. If we don't have the skills and the emotional intelligence to prevent conflict from bubbling up in amongst our teams and then being able to manage it in a timely manner, it's going to, of course, impact relationships. Yeah. Yeah, so recognising those points of need in our school is really essential. Then we jump down to meaning, which I know in your work, Amy, is all around um, around purpose. So co-creating that vision, finding and being reminded constantly of our purpose and our vision, getting involved in community or charity-based projects. We have joint responsibilities for that too. So, of course, leaders lead the creation of vision but staff have their their part to play in that. Um, but we, we have to find our collective purpose. But as you were talking about in your last episode, Amy, it's around as an individual practitioner, what is our purpose in our role? Why do we show up to that role each day? Why did we decide to become a teacher and keeping that front and centre?
1: Yeah. And some people know it straight away. They've just revisited it. They're very aware of it. They can, it just rolls off their tongue. They feel it. They believe it. It's right there. And as I said, and then there's others that need to work on it. Um, yeah. And so collective is important, but in many instances, there are individuals that need a little bit more at that time, a little bit more um, focus on it because it, it has been lost. Um, mm-hmm. And no matter what happens at a collective level, if that individual is not where they need to be, then all this collective stuff is just nothing. Yeah. Um so, you know, it's not the case for every everyone and not everyone needs a coach and not everyone needs to take, you know, but For some, it's exactly what they need, and it can be short intervention. You know, Mm -hmm. the consulting thing and the changing of culture is a big long-term game. But a lot of this coaching stuff can be resolved within those eight-week programs, and maybe there needs to be a check-in in in a couple of months. Oh, I've dropped a bit. Oh, can I? You know, of course. But a lot of it just needs a little bit of focus for you know a couple of months, and then it is amazing what change can happen um, from prioritizing yourself and starting to unpack it for yourself, and then the collective stuff is much easier.
0: I agree and what the research actually showed throughout COVID was that many teachers and staff lost their uh, professional identity because we went to that uh, in many states, a period of home learning, which we were really uncomfortable with and then we came back and it was just like, you know, we just continued on without actually um, talking to our staff about their self-efficacy and the kind of practitioner they want to be and who they are now. Um, So lots of people's self-esteem and confidence in their ability to do their job was severely impacted and hasn't been rebuilt. And we've also had a new wave of all these new educators coming in where we haven't been as on the ball. I think with um, our establishment of helping them discover their professional identity, what kind of teacher Mm -hmm. they want to be, what mm. needs to happen to get there um and in many instances teacher development plans or professional development plans have become a tick and flick now where they're so powerful if we actually use them properly so um you know i a lot of the work i'll do when i first go into with into schools is helping them to refocus on that whole idea of discovering professional identity with our staff, yes. um, talking to them, working out what they need, developing our awareness as leaders of what our staff are looking to develop in themselves, how they see themselves, what professional learning opportunities they're looking for. Uh, it's, you know, meaning is quite a big piece of the puzzle, but it's, it's so important. It features in the PERMA model for, for a reason. Then we have accomplishment, so that's all around goal setting, feedback, acknowledgement and recognition, and that's both leaders initiating, um, you know, aspects of recognising their staff, but staff participating and recognising their leaders and one another. And in my joint responsibilities of staff wellbeing, staff development workshop, I kind of end with this monologue where I talk about change is a process and this takes a really long time but we can do, we can acknowledge our leaders for all of the little steps that they're taking to make our workplace a better place like yes we're not where we want to be but can you see they've engaged someone like me or you um mm-hmm. you know we've run that survey we've talked about it um you know we're while we're sending out the tips that might, for, to support your wellbeing that you might not find useful we're you know we're doing what we can with what we've got right now and it's really important for us to acknowledge that and one sure. another.
1: For sure. I think I've spoken, you know, it's come up so much on the Wonders of Wellbeing podcast with people that I've interviewed around, you know, no no leader in any school is sitting there saying openly, let's not do things to support staff. Mm. It's not a conscious thing that they're purposely not doing. Mm. Mm. <laughs> so if we can sort of start with that, it's it helps a little bit of that blame and it helps a little bit mm. of that perception, but it helps a little bit of that finger pointing and you know they're not sitting around working out ways that they can't do it or that they don't want to do it you know it's just how do we do it when do we do it yeah. what does it entail you know all these sorts of things so i'm totally with you there yeah yeah
0: we have to we have to recognize that and then the final element uh, added on more recently in the PERMA model is the H at the end for health. So, um, you know, leaders and staff having that collective responsibility to role model self responsibility for the multiple dimensions of our health and well being, to check in with the well being of staff and one another and our leaders. Like, just as our leaders need to check in with your well being, our middle leaders in particular, research shows are the most stressed in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Um, experiencing the highest levels of burnout, are you checking in with how your leader is going and 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 supporting them in their role just as they support you? Um, engaging with corporate health programs um, and actually accessing them if if they're on offer at work, um, utilize them. Um, you know, while you might not think it is the thing for you, how do you know? <laughs> Until you yeah, try it, sure. yeah. So so you know, acknowledging here that in that in that health realm leaders of course initiate things but our staff have that responsibility to to engage with them and give them a go and if it's not for you then at least you've you've learnt it from there so um yes i think you know in a nutshell reviewing foundationally as leaders and staff how we're supporting staff or being in culture at those you know those core elements at our foundation around safety and legislative requirements communication consultation but then unpacking through whatever dimension, um, sorry, whatever the pillars are that you follow based on your school approach with mine, it's perma model, our collective responsibility there. And for every responsibility a leader has, a staff member also has a responsibility. The same goes both ways. So ultimately, when it comes to maintaining health and well-being in the workplace, there has to be a symbiotic relationship between leaders, teachers, and staff. And while school leaders should establish those foundations, the policies, the procedures and the initiatives provide the funding to promote Mm -hmm. wellbeing and ensure positive culture, staff need to elect to put their hand up to get involved in the programs and initiatives that are offered and offer respectful and professional feedback and solutions to things that might not be working or that they don't perceive will work The mental health and wellbeing of school staff really must remain a priority for our school leaders and our staff. And without these solid foundations, the buy-in of new initiatives, ideas and changes, our strategy is less likely to land, as we know. The functioning of a school and a harmonious school culture and environment must be at the top of our teachers' priority list as well. So this means cooperating with the school's health and safety conditions, taking steps to take care of their own health on the well, of, and wellbeing inside and outside of the workplace. Without this, the journey can seem longer, ha- harder and in many times more arduous. So it's really why an, an approach to focus leaders and staff is ultimately the best and most effective way to tackle a very complex and worthwhile cause. What do you think, Amy? Was there anything else you wanted to add to our final summation? That was that was unreal. You nailed <laughs>
1: it. I'm yeah. not, not going to add anything because we're going to get off on another track. That was oh, perfect. we always do. Next summary ever.
0: I know and for any of you who are interested in having the support of somebody like Amy or I, um, to be able to, um, guide either your school or your staff one-on-one, um, and Amy works particularly with teams as well. We'll have, um, both of our, um, uh, websites and our podcasts and our, uh, social media handles linked in the show notes. Please do reach out. We, both in this together, we offer very different approaches. Of course, I talked about how Amy um, Amy shared back about wellness in episode 25. So please go back and have a listen. And I'm sure both of us would be happy, ready, and willing to support you and your schools in this endeavor. For sure,
1: absolutely. (laughs) Always, always and an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you for coming Um, in again,
0: Amy. We've had a long day of recording, but it's been great (laughs) spending time with you. It's been been a pleasure. We're friends now. We know everything about each other. (laughs) Yeah, we sure do. Thanks so much, Amy, and we hope to connect with lots of schools after this episode on the Joint Responsibilities. We sure do. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you so much for tuning in today. My team has put together the show notes which can be found wherever you're listening to this podcast with easy-to-access links for connecting with Amy and the resources for this episode. If you're keen to understand if and why your staff are struggling with their well-being, I encourage you to check out our anonymous staff wellbeing survey packages which are designed to facilitate the process of collecting feedback from your staff and serve as a way to open communication and create collaborative conditions between leaders and staff. With the data collected from the survey, you'll be able to identify priority areas of focus and make better and more effective decisions about staff wellbeing moving forward. Visit adrianhornby.com.au forward slash staff hyphen wellbeing hyphen surveys or for quick access again just refer to those show notes of this episode and you'll be able to easily access it from there thanks so much for listening to well-led schools i look forward to connecting with you at adrianhornby.com.au. here you can get in contact with me learn more about my approach and join my mailing list i'm adrienne hornby Thanks again for your time and stay well.